Hello and welcome to the 160th episode of The Sausage Factory, which is brought to you by Spong.com and hosted by me, Chris O'Regan. In this show, we interview video game developers and ask them how they made their start making games, what the influences are and who inspires them. Split into two halves, the show initially focuses on the developer themselves, and in the second half we discuss the game they're here to promote, which in this case is Planetoid Pioneers by Data Realms. Dan! Hi. Who, are, who are you and what do you do? Hi, Chris. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, my name is Dan Tabar. I am the, the development director at, at Data Realms, and uh, I make indie games with a very cool team. Uh, uh, I think they're very cool, and I, uh, I'm, I'm very happy to be working with a team of 20 people and uh, spread over 10 countries on four continents, which make up uh, Data Realms. Right. Great response to the first question. Can't can't fault uh-huh. it because that is technically the first question. Who are you? What do you do? Yeah, so well yeah. done. Yeah, you made it. Um, <laughs> I I gotta say, every time I see the name of your developer, I keep on saying Data East. I know it's a completely different company. Oh, funny. Yeah, okay. They're old school. I <laughs> but, like it. Uh, Data East. Yeah. Oh, just look up everyone if you don't know who Data East is. They were pioneers of arcade games back in the day, and uh, they went absolutely no. It's old school. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. So uh, well done for that name because uh, I do like huh? talking about the names of the developers where they got them from because. Sometimes there comes some weird stuff, uh, and yeah, yeah. it's great. But yeah, data realms—it's a—it it conjures up something like a, like a virtual reality data, sort of like you're walking through some um, virtual skyscrapers trying to find data. It's great. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, it's cool. Yeah, people people think sometimes that we we you know we, they confuse us or they they uh, they uh, remember uh, 3D realms. 3D realms was you know the makers of Duke Nukem and yeah. those guys. Um, but uh, the name really came from uh, uh, when I was working on the engine of our first game, uh, Cortex Command, which uh, I started making in high school back in Sweden uh, when I grew up there uh, when I was about 16 years old, 15, 16. And uh, I, uh, I had this principle. I wanted to make everything very data-driven, which is a programmer term for uh, having all the parameters and everything, uh, you know, all the weapons and all the data, everything in the game kind of be um, read from files, text files that anyone could edit. Uh, you know, definitely including myself. That was the idea first. Just make everything very easy to change, uh, so I didn't have to recompile the program every time. So uh, that's where I got the name from originally. And uh, Realms was uh, made sense. You know, you're, we're making little worlds with games, and they're simulations. It's like building a little universe uh, with uh, even the physics, the rule of the physics, and everything from from scratch. So it's uh, it's like a realm. And uh, yeah, so Data Realms came from that. I'm. Uh, <laughs> you beat me to the punch a little bit there. Because oh, this, sorry. The second question was, "How did you make your start making games?" It wasn't your fault. You didn't know. Uh, but so oh, obviously sure. you've answered already that partially. Like, well, yeah, I made this game called. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's, it's yeah. Um, so Cortex tell us, yeah, yeah um, tell us how did you make your start making video games? Give us a give us your career <sighs> history, sir. Yeah, yeah. So so if we really want to uh, pull it all the way back, it's, yeah, yeah, it's right back to working. your fetus when you like, you know, you. All right, all right, all right. Yeah. So it was. In high school, or the equivalent of high school in Sweden, I, I, you know, we all got the standard issue Texas Instruments TI-83 calculator. Uh, and on that, I, I wrote my first Worms clone, or like Worm clone, not Worms, but Worm. Uh, you, might, you might recall that, uh, you know, it's just a line uh, running around the screen, oh, picking snake. up apples at. Snake. Snake. Yeah. Snake, Worm, yeah, it has, you know, many, it has many names. names. But yeah, but most you, people just refer to You know to what you mean, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean. So yeah, that's that's my technically my first na- uh, game, but 
Um, not long after that, I, I started uh, getting real serious about uh, teaching myself programming, and uh, I uh, I found myself motivated by you know the PC games and uh, well Commodore 64 games is is where I really started playing games. I I inherited a Commodore 64, which by the way today turned uh, 35, I believe. I just saw on yeah. Facebook. Uh, yeah, but being, be, being British, we had the Spectrum. So we exactly, had that yeah. C64 Spectrum fight. Yeah. It still rages yeah. on to this day. Yeah, it's <laughs> wonderful. Yeah, no, it's, and the, the Commodore 64, which was very popular in Sweden, yeah. uh, the kind of red box one, you know, that, that one turned 35 years today. And it's uh, pretty fun because I turned 35 myself. So, you know, last month. So I'm, uh, you know, it's a, it's a fond thing in my past. And I grew up with all those Commodore 64 games, the big floppy discs and, you know, uh, good old games. Like uh, one of them, one of them was Exile. And I'll cut, get back to that later. There was a BBC okay. micro version of this game called Exile also. I think it was released in 86 or something like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, it actually inspired uh, the game we're going to be talking about today, Planetoid Pioneers, uh, in large part. So well, we can get back to that later. I, I really started making games on... Um, on my own in earnest when I started making this uh, engine that I called uh, the, uh, the retro terrain engine. So terrain as in the ground. Uh, and uh, it was actually inspired initially by this um, kind of a, a, a mix between worms, which is not snake or, or worm, but like worms, you know, the, this team 17 title, which is yeah, uh, which was based British on Earth. scorched earth way back then. So yeah, right. right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Scorched Fantastic, yeah. So there's a canon of these uh, side-scrolling games where you could kind of like the terrain was was uh, destructible, right? So Scorch Earth uh, started that. There might have been something else before them, but Scorch Earth is kind of where where I got it um, exposed to it in the beginning. So then Worms, and then there was a Finnish guy who made a game called Liero, Liero with with an L. Um, he made uh, this kind of uh, cross between Worms and Quake in a way. So it was a real-time version of Worms. Yeah, as you know, Worms is a turn-based team strategy game. Mm. And, um, and uh, Liero was kind of like you, you controlled one worm directly and you could dig through the ground and you have all these weapons that uh, were very, very, uh, very cool because you could you know, really dig through the ground. And if you had, if you had something very powerful like a nuke, uh, it would blow up half the map <laughs> and you were playing split screen against someone else. So we played this a lot in school and I got inspired by that because in that, in that, uh, Liero game, there were two materials or three, technically, if you count air, um, there was air, uh, dirt and rock. And you could, you know, dig through the dirt, but you cannot dig through the rocks. And that was pretty much it. So I, so I, so I thought to myself, wouldn't it be cool if there were more materials, you know? Um, and around the same time there were, these uh, falling sand games that were kind of uh, flying around on the on the in, in JavaScript on, in browser, you could actually kind of paint different different pixels on a on a kind of a low res uh, image and start the simulation. So you would have water pixels and they would fall down, and then you would have sand pixels they would fall down, and you could make funnels and you could make all these chain reactions happen too because uh, these pixels would also be uh, combustible. Some of them, so you could uh, make something burn up and have a chain reaction. So. Those kind of two things, Lero and, and Falling Sand, made me um, have this vision of I wanted to make a game that's side-scrolling, um, real-time, but also team-based. Uh, so this started becoming you know, the classic, classic mistake of over-ambitious game design for the first game you make. Uh, yes, you, support- you encountered the concept of feature creep without understanding oh, what that very means. Early, very early, yeah. yes. 
um, and and Cort- Cortex Command is what came out of this retro terrain engine. So I I uh, initially started making a game uh, with this engine. So I built the engine where there was just one one pixel uh, could could kind of represent a particle, and it could it could fall down on a terrain. You know, again side side scrolling kind of uh, cross section view uh, like worms, and it would fall down. It would hit the terrain and just settle and sit there. That was like the most basic thing, and I was very proud of that. And then I started making groups of pixels, kind of like work together, and they would, uh, they could, they could kind of form objects. And uh, if they were flying fast enough, they would hit the terrain, and they would displace the. If they were flying fast, fast enough, again uh, with enough energy, they would displace the materials in the terrain. So you could actually have stuff that you could shoot through. You know, if it was sand or something of of a softer material. But if you encounter something hard like a rock or or concrete, you know, for example, in a bunker. Uh, you know that you would see a cross section of side from the side. Uh, it, it would uh, it would be harder to get through, and you would have to have something that emitted these particles uh, that were were stronger or faster or you know like just more powerful to get through the concrete. And so from this cortex cortex command, the game that you know is the final name of the game, eventually from from dirt to cortex command, it, it kind of grew out of that. So it took me literally twelve years from that those beginnings in high school until I actually released something that I felt was, uh, uh, in my mind, the, the, the finished version of, of Cortex Command, where I, I felt like this is feature complete. Um, and uh, that was a very long journey. And, and it's not to say that I worked full-time 12 years on this. I, I went to school, like I said, and I, I went to college. I, I moved to the U.S. I actually went to work. You know, I had full-time jobs and all this stuff. So, you know, it, it kind of... kept on coming back to it as a thing, like... Yeah, yeah, okay. exactly. Got uh, just, back for, and yeah. I, yeah, so... I mean, you hear people that's... still playing WoW after 12 years. It's like... <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, I just came back to it. I did remember very distinctly making a vow to myself that I wanted to finish this project, you know? Right, and whatever right. form it ended up being, I wanted to feel like I had finished it. And that's something I kind of kept that, you know, I kept coming back to it, even though I took hiatuses of, of entire years, um, kind of, you know, when I, when I was working, uh, at, at, a, at, at bigger studios and game studios and so on. So that's, uh, that's how I got started at least. And, uh, it was, it was Cortex Command was my first kind of bigger game that I feel like I finished. And then, you know, Planetoid Pioneers is actually my second game. And I've, I've been at it now for 15 years or something in the, in the games industry as a professional game developer. And it's, uh, uh, it's only two games so far, <laughs> so yeah. I'm not the most I, I, prolific. I mean, one of the yeah. things I do say to to guests, you know, well done in completing a game, and to the layman, mm-hmm. that sounds really patronising, mm-hmm. but it's sure. not. It's really, really, really oh, hard yeah. <laughs> to make games. No, there's there's a lot of there, there's actually a whole uh, kind of conversation to to delve delve into with with Cortex Command or wh- right. whether or not it's done or not. That I I don't know if we want to derail into that uh, today. We're talking well, about that, yeah, we we have limited but, time, Dan. But yeah, uh, exactly. so maybe, maybe feel, you can we'll, come we'll, back and talk about that when you think it's done. What, what, yeah, what I can say about it though is is that there's on our Steam page there's there's a very good explanation on in the first video of Cortex Command. So if you just go to Cortex Command's Steam page, it, it I pretty much explain it all there. So if you're curious, just go there. I will. Yes, I will. I will. And so should yeah. everyone, everyone listening, you know, because it yeah. sounds awesome. And it's great that you started on the C64, which is not the greatest computer to program on. You had to use assembly, basically, to change the color of things. 
Um, well, it didn't, but you had to change memory addresses. It was bizarre. Um, which is, it's like, you know. Yeah, I, know. Uh, and, uh, I want to make clear also, I, I started playing games on the Commodore 64, so I, I inherited uh, that one from um, my brother. I was right. like seven or, you know, I was, I was quite right. young, you know, as I said. The, the computer is pretty much exactly as old as I am. Yeah, so exactly. Yeah, it was my it was my first computer, but it wasn't right. the computer I started developing games on. It was oh, the PC. That makes, that I it was the PC that in high okay. school. That but makes I more definitely, sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. So, because otherwise you'd know assembly now. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. yeah. Okay. So, uh, my next question then um, is: obviously, you've been creating things for many many years so what is your biggest influence as a creator so as in as in what influences me like what what uh kind of uh gets me inspired is that what you mean maybe it's a bit of a nebulous question and maybe i've always okay. had to sort of build it up a little bit but what i'm talking about sure. is the thing that, that you always find yourself orbiting the thing that says yes. This is this is what I'm drawn to, and this is what I want to build a game about. That's basically yeah. what I'm talking about. Okay. So, so in terms of the design of the games, it's always been about those uh, the golden kind of era of the the 80s and 90s, um, that that kind of pioneering um, time on the on the Commodore 64, the Amiga 500, which was my next computer, and uh, then the PC. You know, the the DOS era. Um, which which really inspired me. I mean, that was my formative years as a gamer, so to speak. And uh, um, I've always kind of gone back to those um, those eras to to kind of draw inspiration from games like XCOM and you know Liero, like we just mentioned, and Worms and um, Warcraft. Exile, you know, those, yes, yeah, and Exile. Exactly, yeah. Exile was it was a big one. Like I said, for, for Planet of Pioneers. So yeah, those are those are. Those are kind of like the games that that inspired me and the mechanics and kind of the um, um, very you know everyone was pioneering back then. There was there was really no set way of doing things, and so people were innovating in a lot of ways. Some sometimes you know the the interface was super clunky, or you know there was some very strange user experience uh, you know innovations here or there, and some worked really well, some did not. Um, Exile certainly was not the most uh, easily playable game or pick you know like it's hard to actually understand what's going on but it was unfair different. let's be fair very <laughs> it, it, let's, let's let's not yeah. let's not beat around the bush it was right. unfair right. yeah so. yeah and and a lot of games were back then right and and you know gamers don't really tolerate that anymore um so much it's uh uh it's it's you know times have changed in that sense but there's a lot of gems in terms of the um the innovation of the of the game designs that that were established back then or, or, or pioneered back then that I, I try to kind of uh, get, go back to. It's, it's that wonder of, of uh, being, a, 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 you know, a, a kind of a, a child, you know, kind of this childlike wonder of, wow, they are doing some amazing stuff on the screen, you know, that, that, I, that I didn't expect or, you know, something like that where, where you really feel that, like, that childlike wonder again. So I try, to, I try to go back to that in terms of the game design. There's another thing in terms of like motivating me to work on games for so 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 long, or you know however long I've been working at it. I think it's 15 years now, and uh, there was a period, you know, after Cortex Command, it was a, it was a slog to get it out, and and a lot of work, and and um, it, you know I had to really evaluate whether I want to do another game, um, take on another project, and uh, what what motivated me to actually do it was not so much to make another game per se, but actually. Um, perpetuate something that 
deliberately that happened kind of accidentally around cortex command. So you might recall that I mentioned that I I, I made cortex command very data driven, um, yeah. uh, and that actually uh, caused something to happen that I didn't really anticipate or plan for. Is that it, it, this modding community popped up around it? That um, you know I set up a forum on my own website very you know very early on and. I made it easy for pe- for people to upload files to it because I noticed that people wanted to modify the game a lot. You know, it was very easy. You just edited these text files that you could, you know, open up a note- notepad and uh, change weapons and change pretty much everything in the game. So this uh, modding community popped up, and um, I started. I also integrated Lua uh, scripting to Cortex Command's engine, uh, so that all, even all the game logic and AI and all that stuff was driven by uh, scripts that that were editable by anyone, and you can edit them and, and re- restart the game without, or you didn't have to restart the whole program. You, you just kind of like restart the level, and, and your changes would now be in effect. So, what really happened that was that that changed my mind and blew my mind um, uh, at the time was that I, I I started hearing stories over this very long development period of Cortex Command was that people started uh, these stories started trickling back, and it was several of them that. People had graduated from computer science kind of bachelor's degrees because in high school they had been playing the game and kind of got sucked into modding and got a taste of programming from from the Lua scripting. Um, and then they chose their major based on that. And uh, I had never, you know, anticipated this. So I didn't plan for this or anything. That's wonderful to hear, isn't it? The fact that you've inspired others. To, yeah, yeah. To give it's, back like that. That's right, wonderful. Right, right. So, so it was it was kind of a shock and a, and a very you know yes a uh, very inspiring thing for me as well because I was I realized like I could actually change people's lives this way you know and um, if I if I you know in the next project kind of leaned into it and made the editors and the modability even better and kind of planned a little bit and and tried to make this this uh, this new project be um, almost like uh, a way to a way to trick people into wanting to teach themselves. Uh, just like I had wanted to teach myself programming when I was a kid, um, uh, you know, playing these games, I, 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 you know, I ordered these very thick books on programming from from Amazon.co.uk, you know, the 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 British version of Amazon, and had them sent to Sweden. And you know, these books were three times as thick as my math book, but I, I you know, I burned through them uh, teaching myself all this stuff because I was really motivated to make these little worlds and change things, you know, in there. Um, and I saw the same thing happen to some some people that played the game. You know, some people just enjoy the game, and that's totally fine. But uh, a smaller percentage actually got kind of sucked into the creation process, and I wanted to make more of that happen. So this is a reason why we're making uh, Planetoid Pioneers. It's uh, it is definitely a legitimate game that kind of stands on its own legs. But we've also built a whole new engine um, over the span of eight years now, so it overlapped Cortex Command's kind of uh, development quite a bit. But we've been building this engine and these tools um, from scratch to with this in mind. And so the game is going to be really fun to play. Just If you just want to play it, it's going to be really fun. It already is today, I believe, I feel. Okay. Um, but, uh, you know, that's, that's kind of what motivates me. So that's what really is the, 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 the mere the act of creation and also creating yeah. a tool for others to create with. That's a yes. wonderful, wonderful yeah. thing. And, and uh, I can't, you know... Um, Sort of applaud you enough for such mm. an endeavour. So thank you for that, uh, and you. also yeah. sharing. It's a wonderful thing to be inspired by, just to be <laughs> the, the drive to help others create. That's wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. So 
what developer do you most admire in the industry and why? Wow, that's a great question. Um, I would say... I would say Jonathan Blow is definitely one of them. Um, the way he creates his own engines and builds uh, elaborate, you know, projects uh, that are very kind of like one of a kind, uh, are, you know, on top of the, the technology. That's he's he's got he's got a designer's kind of like mind that that few others have. You know, um, he's he's definitely one of them. There's a lot of indies uh, that uh, are peers of mine that I look you look up to. You know, the guys who made Limbo, uh, Playdead. Those guys are limbo and, and inside. Um, you know, these guys are also legends in the way they've produced this experience. Um, um, I'm trying to think of. Uh, there's there's obviously a lot, and I'm gonna miss miss uh, a bunch of them that I wish I get mentioned. Because uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it's pretty much uh, you know. Also, I'm I'm very I'm a very big uh, fan of like physics driven games and and both both the big games i've made are are heavily physics driven so any games that are dependent on physics are very very close to my heart um there's one that was just announced was just announced and that's by a uh to answer your question is is uh, by a a friend of mine old friend of mine indie developer petri purho he's a mm-hmm. finnish guy and uh he just came out with a trailer for noita which means uh witch in uh in uh finnish and uh it looks just amazing because again uh uh, he, he's shown me early, early versions of his engine, but it, it, every pixel of the terrain is uh, the terrain in the engine is a side-scrolling thing, and it's every pixel is simulated. So, it's uh, in some ways very similar to Cortex Command's concept, but the game itself is very different. So, he took it away further than I did with Cortex Command. There's liquids and all this fun stuff in there, so it's closer to those falling sand games. But he's built the whole kind of game, uh, kind of action platform around it and it's it looks just just marvelous so i would recommend anyone to check out the noita trailer um that's out just a few weeks ago okay well we'll we'll delve into that it sounds fascinating and very exciting some wonderful answers any more because i i have found that uh you know some some guests say what i've only got one i know you can do name as many as you like but uh, yeah i'm uh i'm 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 uh thinking about um who else to to name there there are a lot of course um Let's see the well the guys who built um you know the game XCOM the original which in Europe I believe was called UFO Enemy Unknown it was uh, uh, it made was, by the uh, uh esteemed Julian Gollop who's been on the show I happen to say oh wonderful yes, wow so um, really yeah he's yeah. a lovely man uh he made um Laser Squad and Rebel Star mm. all these games yeah. from Spectrum era and essentially the same as UFO or indeed XCOM games but there were the, I remember yeah. playing them as a kid. The, the, these ancient Spectrum games are very old. Um, but um, <laughs> so yes, that's that's good to. I mean, I, I still think what they've done with the new XCOM is is uh, mm. can only be applauded as well. I've also I like I like the board game. Board game's not too bad either. Oh, there's a board game. I wasn't even aware. Wow. Yeah, good. it's it's a little bit tough, a little bit too difficult. But then again, XCOM was yeah. always been a little bit too difficult, isn't it? Sure, sure. So. Well, there, um, one more I would mention is Chris Taylor. He made. Um, uh, Total Annihilation, which was uh, oh, yes. also one of those really fantastic RTS games that kind of broke broke a lot of new ground too. You know, it has it had uh, 3D graphics with the little robots and you know massive battles and all this stuff. And, I remember the particle effects when I think of those right. games. The wonderful, yeah, effects, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So yeah, no, um, pretty much anyone that makes a game like that 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 breaks new ground, you know, it has has my has my respect. You know, the XCOM or UFO was 
big big on that in, in so many ways. That's why it's such a legendary game, I think, title. You know, David Braben. Um, Robin or Braben? I think it's Braben, right? Uh, Elite. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's working now on Elite Dangerous. You know, that, those kind of games really... You know, they're they're pioneering games, and I I think um, that that's something to look up to. You know, yes, I, I think everyone knows the story about how David Braben went around various publishing companies to try to get his get Elite published, and they said, uh, where's, "Where's the score? There's there's no <laughs> the, where, where does it end? Oh there's that's there's no score. Like, that's terrible. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's like, don't you know what he's made? Like, there's no yeah. score. There's no lives. Like, yeah." <laughs> And uh, and it's, I mean, he's, it's wonderful, isn't it? But his argument was, why are we building games based on arcade machines when there's no coin slot <laughs> on a computer? <laughs> it makes no sense. Those those games were designed for you to pump coins into a machine. Yeah. <laughs> it makes no sense. Absolutely no, and it's yeah. it's worth remembering that even these you know games, the early games in the PC era, and 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 in uh, Commodore and sixty four and, and Spectrum and all these, you know, they were still. Um, they were still breaking the molds that were, yeah, uh, kind of established by arcade machines. So, so yeah, this is. I haven't heard the story that you just recounted, but it was. It makes a lot. Of, it makes a lot of sense that he would have to fight against, you know, these already established uh, and very silly uh, paradigms, I guess, or, or yeah. just, um, just tropes yeah, so or understand or, or like, structures. Like, exactly. well, of course, you yeah. have games, hard arcade games on home computers. That's what the kids want. No, yeah, exactly. That's what you keep on shoveling at them. <laughs> <You> <laughs> exactly. <don't... laughs> so, yeah. So, so if I if I feel if if I if I just accomplish one thing in my in my game developer career is is to uh, uh, I'll be I'll be very satisfied, which is to continue that tradition of of innovating, you know, and, yeah. and breaking breaking the 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 kind of uh, uh, formats and and paradigms that that you know might might not serve us anymore, you know. So. Yeah. This is why um, yeah. I have you on. This is why I brought you on the show because I saw Planet Toy Pioneers. It might have been at a PAX West or it might have been at EGX. Oh, okay. I can't remember. I go to PAX every year and I stumbled upon your, your game. I played on it for way too long. I almost didn't miss an appointment. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's a good review. Yeah. Oh, and, and it must have been a year or two ago in that case. And, and yeah. uh, you know, then, yeah. then we, you know, if you play it again, uh, you know, now it, you'll see. You'll see. It's, that it's a very quite different good. game. It's a very different yeah. game. When I was, it was an idea when I played it. In my opinion, it's no offense exactly. to your good selves, but I felt it was a potential. It had extraordinary yeah. potential, and you've you've delivered yeah. um, the bucket loads on that. But uh, before we yeah. go into that, I have. It's far to go. Yeah. Oh yes. Yeah, but I think it's a good time. <laughs> it's a good time to chat to you now about it because it's a great milestone you've reached. But good. before we delve into that. I've got uh, one more question for you in this first half, and it's my favourite question because uh-huh. it gives me an idea of what makes you tick, as we've got what gets you going when it comes to games. What are you uh-huh. playing right now? Ooh, yeah, I um, I just uh, downloaded Nidhogg Two, which is uh, I, I would say you know Mark Essen and his um, his uh, I believe wife. Uh, I, I, her her name does escape me at the moment. I think Victoria is her name. Um, I might be wrong. I uh, really enjoy it. Uh, I've only played it for a little bit, and it's a very controversial move that they did with the art style of this of this game. Uh, the first one was very kind of abstract and Spartan, but uh, the uh, the second one is 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 just a completely different dimension, basically in terms of the art direction. And uh, a lot of people didn't like it. I 
I, I enjoy it quite a bit. I, I think the artist did, a, did an amazing job on it. So I Nidhogg is. It, I think it looks like an Amiga game um, now. They've changed from Atari 2600 to Amiga. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I think Amiga is a great, great. Yeah, like, I, would, I would agree. I would agree. So it's, it's close to my heart in that sense, too. You know, it's Amiga is something I grew up with, and it's just a wacky, zany, kind of very colorful palette. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, and it's very gruesome in a cartoony way, which is uh, kind of a hard, sometimes it can be hard uh, balance to strike. Yes, but it's interesting. When I said it's Amiga, it looks like them. No Amiga could possibly do what that game is doing. Uh, it's not, yeah. And similarly, when you look at Nidhogg, the original, it looks like an Atari 2600 game, but no 2600 <laughs> yep. could possibly do what that game did. Um, yeah. So, no, it, yeah. that's actually an interesting um, point because in uh, Cortex Command, for example, it's, it's, you know, it's, a, it's a pixel art game mm. and the resolution is pretty low. Yeah. However... It does stuff that no, you know, no computer could do back when you know those no. games that it was inspired by was running. So, no. so it's it's uh, you know I think that's also why I was able to work on it for so long and and have it still be kind of competitive, so to speak, because I wasn't competing on graphics or uh, graphical fidelity. It was it was more that I could have an extremely detailed, extremely detailed physics simulation that that just could enable stuff that. Uh, you never could see in those games you were uh, a lot of people are nostalgic for you know um so wasn't it was, lumbered it was, by a massive graphics engine because it didn't you yeah. know it's, yeah okay okay yeah. that's good yeah so. okay anything else um can you remind me what the question was again sorry what I, are you uh, playing I, right now oh sure yeah nidog yeah. um yeah so nidog is one we um uh let's see what was i playing right before yeah actually so I, I hadn't played it until very, uh, like last week, uh, this uh, very popular game. I believe it's one of the most popular games, or if ever, or something like that on Steam. It's the, you know, um, Player Unknown's Battleground. Um, I got to try it once. <laughs> I have not bought it yet, yeah. but I played it at, at a friend's place, and I was I was very impressed, actually. I was very impressed with the game design itself, how just... And, I, and I'm aware it's, it's something that's evolved over you know, mods that were built for other games for, you know, years and years, uh, Daisy and Arma, and, like, there's a canon that led up to this game, but, man, they really pulled it off. I mean, having 100 people on a big, 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 big island and uh, have this mechanic where you have to kind of converge <laughs> and survive, I mean, it's it's brilliant, and there's a reason why it's one of the best-selling games right now. So we played it quite a bit. We had uh, We had a nice kind of land party, set up at a friend's place uh this week uh and uh we enjoyed it a lot and i was i was actually surprised how well i enjoyed it we it was funny because we were about five six people in the room and at one point in the beginning we only had two computers you know running and you know a big one of them was set hooked up to a big tv and uh everyone in the room had a fantastic time because we were all commentating and and strategizing um even though there were only two people playing you know we were all kind of participating so it was uh it was very good, so I'm impressed with it. Yeah, as am I. Um, well done to everyone involved with that. It uh, just said, here's a game designed for Twitch. Have fun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We were enjoying it just watching it, right, on the TV. We were, you know, there was no streaming involved. It was all in the same room, which made it even better. But, yeah, it's a fantastic you know, spectator game. Yes, um, what I find also frustrating, because you're just screaming oh. at the time, Idiot! Can't you hear? <laughs> sure, Can't sure, you, sure, what yeah. are you doing? I, I, 
Uh, I just it's, uh, it brings out the stupidity in people like you would not believe. Yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah. that's that's the problem though. But if you were involved actually in in the because it's so it builds up an incredible amount of anxiety. It really does. <laughs> I mean, when yeah. you play, it, it's just like when you're down to the last I don't know last twenty, which is pretty good going. Yeah. You're like I'm gonna die. And it, like how how did this developer make an open door the most threatening thing you could see in your entire life? Yeah, like, exactly. That door's that open. tension. Yeah, that door's that, open. Oh yeah. He, that brings it, me back to, to XCOM actually, right? Like uh, I don't know if you recall XCOM or UFO. That was that was a very tense game also back in the even with the with the you know very pixel art graphics. Uh, you know, you, you would you would find a door that was open. You weren't, it wasn't supposed to be open. You know that some alien had gone through there, and now you knew that there was someone in there. Or you know, this is like uh, these these subtle things can really can really be effective if if uh, the game's designed right. So, yeah. It's for cool. me, my favourite memories of XCOM, or indeed UFO. Thanks for giving it the right name. Um, for that, for that is um, that you're, you're tense. It was very tense. But later on, yeah. when you got all the kit. <laughs> I loved yeah. I loved downing spaceships, downing them, and I didn't need <laughs> yeah. anything on them. I was just doing it out of you know belligerence because I hated them so much. Sure. I would smash sure. them into the ground, send a squad armed to the teeth with flying jetpacks, and then they'd fly yeah. up in the air, and I'd fire a missile, drop a missile in the top of the ship, and then fire another one and just wipe out <laughs> five or six aliens. And like, yeah, that was that learn you, wouldn't it? <laughs> It, just, it felt just egregious violence, just egregious, overkill violence, yeah. overkill yeah. violence, just napalming yeah. <laughs> these aliens. Yep. Yep. And like, yeah. really, Chris, is that oh. makes me feel good because early on in the game they were destroying me, and then later oh, on, yes. vengeance, sir. vengeance, you feel the vengeance. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, I, my my favorite thing, and this actually ties into game design a little bit. Um, mm. It's very quick, a uh, little story. XCOM playing that with the with the cool kit, right, where you can. There was this uh, rocket launcher that um, wasn't rockets, I guess. It was some very alien advanced weapon where you could actually set the waypoints for the projectile that you shot. And it was a very high explosive thing when it actually exploded uh, at, the, at the destination. But you could set waypoints, I don't know if you recall, um, and uh, you could kind of, yeah, like, like you said, I think put it into the top of the, the, the spacecraft and just blow everything up. I made a horrible mistake, which is just sticks with me every... Every time I think about XCOM, it's, there was this barn that you know uh, I was I was trying to clear out, and so I want I wanted to get fancy, and I shot one of these things over the barn, and in through a window on the opposite side, and I expected it to blow up in the barn, of course, but uh, my whole team was on the, on this on this far side of it, and uh, I uh, no not the far side the, the near side, so I would I would I shot it over, it flew straight through that window straight through the barn, straight out the other window, <laughs> which I didn't anticipate, and, you know, blew up right in my face oh, and took out my no, whole face. So no. It was brilliant, yeah. Yeah, those kind of wow. things. Those are, the, those are the stories and memories that stick with yeah. you when you play games, you know. Yeah. You, just, urgent, you, just, urgent you, just, you just sit there staring at the screen going, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I deserve that. I deserve that. It's just complete yep, silence. Exactly. Exactly. It's just complete silence. Yep. It's like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, that's. Absolutely. I'm just going to turn you off now. I think we're done. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep, and I'm going to tell everyone at school tomorrow about this. What happened? You know, and that's that's uh, the beauty of, yeah. of games with emergent gameplay, where where you know things happen that the designers never could could have you know kind of no. programmed ahead of time. And I like that about physics-driven games too. You know, there's so much free designer, uh, free design that happens. You know, like that the designers don't have to do. 
it's a bit of a double-edged sword because making a tuned, well-tuned physics games is very hard to. But yeah, it's it's that is the stories that come out of it that really make make it worth worth it for me. Indeed. Well, that's it yeah. for the first half. Dan. Wonderful. Well done. Yeah. You made it. Yay! Yeah. But now we Thank delve you. deep into planetoid huh. pioneers. So, tell us, what is Planetoid Pioneers? Okay, so um, the short spiel is that it is a physics-driven Metroidvania-like game. So, um, really, Metroid is, is one of the main inspirations for this. Um, it's that exploring an alien world, um, but also the physics-driven part of it is is uh, very key to it. It's um, Physics-driven games is, is something I've always... Uh, loved and enjoyed for reasons I just mentioned. And uh, yeah, so it's also very physics driven. So uh, it's also inspired by games like Exile and uh, Metroid, like I said, and also Blaster Master, you know, the, the old NES title that you had uh, tanks that you could jump in and out of uh, and uh, tanks that actually could jump, you know, these, these vehicles that had uh, jumping ability. So all these three things and uh, some other inspirations as well uh, kind of mixed in there, but uh yeah, that's that's uh, that's planetoid pioneers. You're exploring circular worlds in a, a physics-driven way, and you're using the uh, resources and blueprints and creatures that you come across and uh, to to solve these physics challenges um, in many different ways. So we don't want one one way to uh, just one way to solve something. We, we we encourage people to use creative solutions using this physics-driven kind of physics engine that we have. So I guess that's it. It's not very short, but I guess yeah, yeah. no, that's good. I mean, also presentation-wise, it's on a two D plane, everyone, and you're on a yeah, planet, which is it's yeah. called a planetoid for a reason. It's teeny tiny, like yeah. like like Pluto. Well, actually, not as small as Pluto. Let's oh, not, even smaller, I would say. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's not bash Pluto. Come on, leave it alone. It's had sure. enough. So yeah, um, yeah. But um, and uh, it's hollow. Well, not hollow, but it's got mm. caverns within it, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, you you drop off in this initial one, and then it, you can you build things i don't want to spoil it too much because there's there is what you can spoil this game because uh, there's lots of little things that happen so some some big things uh as you explore but you're right um the key of the key to it is that you're dropped on the planet um uh, through no fault of your own at least i don't think it's your only your fault i can't it's remember a, it's the... a robinson crusoe it's a robinson crusoe scenario you know it's yeah, like his yeah. ship blows up and that's how you end up there yeah yeah and uh it stands up you know unwillingly 
and mm. uh, then it has to do everything. All he's got is this device, a very powerful device, that strips mm. materials from their, down to their raw components. To, mm-hmm. Well, yeah, it just down to various components like metal, <laughs> water, carbon, etc. Et and it mm-hmm. breaks it down. And from that, you can then, provided you've got, you've scanned enough devices, you can then recreate them using yeah. said device, provided you've scanned enough of them or, you know, store. Yeah. And it's wonderful how that's what we've got this loop that you keep on repeatedly scanning things over and over and over. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, that's a good. That's a good thing. I, I did miss. Yeah, it's the atomizer and the uh, assembler. It's mm. kind of like two tools in one. That where the atomizer, yeah, breaks down and, and, and in the process of breaking down things, um, scans them as well. So you can you can get the blueprint eventually for that item um, if you find enough of it. You know, so if you find wreckage of of a robot or you kill a, or you, you you know you kill a robot and it it uh, falls over, and you can go there and, and kind of atomize its its uh its wreckage then uh, if you if you get enough of it you can actually build it and this now this robot that you've built will be your will you be your kind of your pet and the ai will uh treat you friendly and and attack your enemies so these yeah. things are they apply to not only the robots but also uh the weapons the tools the vehicles and the uh, creatures and uh almost most importantly is that you can actually build rebuild backup bodies for yourself and this is how you respawn in this game so you would, you would yes. leave a, a body behind that you can then kind of reincarnate into uh yeah yeah if you um, yeah i don't want to delve into that too much because it comes you you happen upon one relatively early <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's it's not too much spoiler. Yeah. So, I just want to ask about the movement, the player, because it's ragdoll. Because it makes sense that the character you're running around with is very dependent on gravity, and uh, it's not a simple. It's not like um, Mario who defies gravity. Um, Mm -hmm. Absolutely, that's the strength of Mario is that he defies gravity. But um, with this, you've like you've gone full bore. Like no. Everything, even the limbs of this being that you're controlling, uh, is is independently moves independently. The torso, yeah. the legs. I mean, we're not talking about co-op here. That would be ridiculous. But it, it, <laughs> yeah. it, you know, um, um, but it is you know, and you have to respect that. How did this come about? So it's yeah, it's it is an interesting story, and it's um, it's it's been a very long journey. Uh, again, starting in, in Cortex Command, uh, uh, which was inspired by the Liero game. So in Liero, the little worm that you were playing, um, the challenge for the developer then was, you know, okay, this terrain that you're walking over can be very uneven, right? If it's a very jagged, you know, blown up battlefield, it, it's like, how do you make this little worm uh, move over this terrain uh, effectively? And, the, you know, he he fudged uh, he it a little bit, which most games do, and, and, and it's just like a little sphere, basically, and pushes it up um, uh, over the train. There's, there's not much in terms of the collision detection. It's it's uh, there's a bunch of fudging done, and I I don't say that disparagingly. It's like it's it's a it's a very legitimate way of doing it. Um, in Cortex Command, I wanted to kind of push that a lot. Uh, that 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 physical simulation, and this was one of the mistakes I did with Cortex Command. In, in more than one area, was that I I tried to go for way too much detail in the physical simulation like literally as an example the, the guns of the uh, the guns in the game were maybe 12 pixels big but uh the the bullets inside so they had detachable magazines they could fall out um they were physics objects 
uh, can fall to the ground, but also the bullets inside the magazines were counted <laughs> and their mass added up. <laughs> um, so if you had 20 rounds of, of, of bullets in, in a, in a, in a magazine, you know, we would, we would, I would actually count up not only the bullets, but the shells when they flew out. So this kind of detail is ridiculous. Uh, there's no doubt. And, uh, the player would never notice anything like this in the actual gameplay, but, uh, I went overboard there. And then, and then another way that I went overboard was with the walking, um, of the character, uh, in Cortex Command. And, and, uh, I had the same problem as, as Lyra, but I had, uh, honestly a harder problem because the characters are larger in relation to the pixelated terrain. So I couldn't very easily, or at least to my satisfaction, uh, fudge it to, to the same degree where I could just have a sphere and have it kind of like pop up when there was, uh, an uphill and to kind of put it down further down if it was, or let it fall down. If it was going down, it, it just wouldn't look good with the, with the limbs moving and already in Cortex Command, all the limbs and the head and, the legs were we're all we're all separate objects, so you, they could be blown off, but they should also move in a somewhat convincing way. And I just I just went overboard. I mean, again, Cortex Command was a learning project for me, and I I I made the the legs move in an animation along these paths that uh, caused particles on their feet to to you know hit the terrain and uh, and actually push the. Push the whole character upward with using friction and 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 physics, and it was it was ridiculous. Honestly, it, it, it one of the main complaints of Cortex Command was that it was very sluggish to move the characters around. Right. So, you know, in Planetoid Pioneers, um, you know, I tried to take this uh, feedback into account. Uh, the the terrain in Planetoid Pioneers is actually not destructible. So we went we went uh, a little opposite. We made all the objects in the world very dynamically destructible. Yeah, 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 but kept kept the terrain static, mm-hmm. which has a lot of gameplay implications. But even though the terrain is is static, it's also very jagged and can have any kind of shape to it. There's no tiles or no neat surfaces that we can expect. So we needed to have a very physics driven animation and and locomotion system for this for this to work. And and, and this has been again a struggle uh, for us to get to a level where it's fun. You know, so we have a principle where we start somewhere uh, as accurately in simulation as we can, but then pull it back to where we maximize the fun. Um, often when, you know, if you make something very accurately simulated, like a flight simulator or something, very few people will enjoy it uh, to, to its fullest extent in that form because it's just, it's just boring. You know, you're flying a plane for hours and hours. That's it's not the most fun you can have. So if you, if you then pull it back toward arcade, the arcade extreme of things, you know, there's somewhere in there where I feel the fun is maximized for maximized for the most people, and uh, that's kind of like the sweet spot, the magic, the magic spot for any kind of tuning of, of physics-driven games. And so that's what we've been working on for a very long time. The the characters have been one of the key struggles. You know, it's, it is your avatar in the game. It's uh, your representation of you in the game, and and it's it's one of the most important things to get right. So walking. Just the simple act of walking across uneven terrain is, has been has been hard for us to nail and, and to get get good. And and I, if you played this uh, at PAX or at EGX a few years ago or a year ago, um, there really is uh, a, a big difference in in this area in particular. Um, where I feel now we have we have gotten it to a point where we we are getting feedback that people are actually enjoying themselves walking around and climbing over things. And there's there's a do- half a dozen like a, a different different. Um, animation 
kind of uh, modes or not animation modes, but little animations that the character will execute to get over stuff. So if you have a larger cliff in front of you, he'll actually use his arms to help yeah. himself climb over it. Yeah. And it's all very physics driven, you know? So the arms, when they actually touch the ground, that's when, that's when force is applied to the body to make it move up upwards. So you kind of get this feel that the limbs really are in contact with the surface before, you know, the effect of the body moving yeah. happens. And all this is very subtle and kind of, you know, it, it's, um, it's something you don't really maybe see consciously when you're just playing, but it has a big impact on the feel of the game. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's been a long journey. So, uh, mm-hmm. we're still not, still not fully there in terms of like, uh, perfection, uh, where it feels very responsive, but also has this physics driven, you know, goodness to it. Um, it, 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 but we feel like we're very getting very close and our feedback from our play testing is, is showing that too. So, we're we're happy about where we are, but we there's still always um, wait you know improvements room for improvement, right? Absolutely. Um, yeah. So the next question I have is the uh, yeah. how the player is rewarded uh-huh. constantly, pretty much for solving puzzles using the tools they have at their disposal. Um, yeah. How do you think this that uh, Planetoid Pioneers communicates to the player that this is so? And how much hmm. do you assume on the player uh, on how they can solve puzzles? Right. So, yeah. So, so like I like I alluded to before, the um, the challenges that you, that the player kind of comes across in in Planetary Pioneers are are not the very like simple, you know, very kind of single solution type puzzles. It's uh, they're they're a bit open ended by design, and and uh, we really want the player to feel like if they did something creative with. Uh, with a with a blueprint or, or a series of blueprints to to get by a challenge or, or solve a, a a tricky situation or or defeat an uh, you know some kind of nasty monster, uh, they they you know if they if they ever feel like they might have been the first person in the world to solve it in the just that particular way, um, I think we've done we've done you know we've reached our goal with this with this game because it's it's a very satisfying thing to kind of solve something in a very unusual. Uh, unconventional way and that also allows for a lot of replayability right so if you come across uh a gap in the ground for example there's there's so many different ways to get over that you can use a jetpack of course like these classic tropes um and there are there's a jetpack in the game it's it's just another you put it on your back you got to fly over it you can use a grappling hook to swing over it you can build a plank or a series of planks that attach and kind of make this builder little mini bridge builder thing to to build a bridge over it you can use a vehicle to jump over it you can uh you can grab onto a bird and actually use it to soar over it and when you jump and you hold on to a bird that's uh that's flapping its wings it actually carries you you know so you can kind of get over longer uh longer gaps i'm sure it doesn't uh, there's, mind there's a... i'm sure it doesn't mind oh it, yeah it, it 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 yeah it doesn't sound happy when you do it so I, <laughs> uh, but but um yeah so so that's just a very simple example um it's uh, you know we have a lot, of course a lot more interesting complex kind of challenges, but um, one of the one of the more fun things that we're developing right now is is uh, is a pole, which is just another just another simple tool, and it's a long stick, uh, of course. And uh, our physics engine is very very robust, and so it handles these long, uh, very long thin objects very well. So um, 
was one of the reasons we built our own engine from scratch is because we couldn't find anything that does 2D physics uh, well enough to the degree we wanted where there's destructibility and we can have any kind of uh, shape to the objects, even concave shapes. And also the the, the, the penetrate kind of interpenetration of objects when you have very long, thin ones, for example, that's, that's usually a, a, it's often a problem with physics engines. So we made sure that these long, thin objects work really well. And so we came up with this I saw randomly somewhere there's this Dutch tradition of, of kind of pole vaulting over a river or 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 a you know a chasm of some sort um, in real life, and I thought that's a cool thing. And pole vaulting is is obviously a sport as well, and we tried to kind of make this happen in the game, and it's it's it works, and it's a really fun thing to do. You have this pole, you you take a run at it, or you have a jetpack on your back, and you kind of stick it in the ground, and uh, you know. Uh, are able to get over stuff that you weren't able to before. So uh, these kind of things are fun. So it's very rewarding, I feel, you know, as a game player to come up with new solutions to problems that are thrown at you. And that's that's a big part of the design of Cortex Command. Or, sorry, Planetary Preneurs. <laughs> yeah. No, it's... Um... I just find it fascinating. I do find a great deal of satisfaction of solving a puzzle thinking that I better developers didn't think I was going to do that. And they may not have done, you know. It's just like... Exactly. You, exactly. you did what? Like, yeah, 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 I did that. But yeah. wasn't it easier? But, yes, it would have been easier to do that, but... <laughs> sure, yeah. Um, and one, one more thing I want to say that we're just yeah. about to implement, this is kind of a, you can call this a breaking mm-hmm. news item almost, uh, is that we, we, we have a very tight integration with the Steam Workshop, um, which... Uh, might not be familiar it's, it's just a, a place where people can upload their own user generated content so if you make stuff in the editors that come with the game as well um they they show up in the steam workshop and other people can subscribe to these uh blueprints which can be anything from again a tool to a weapon to a robot to uh to an organic creature or another character uh the the really cool thing we've done which is which is I don't think I've seen any other game do yet, and we're about to roll this out, so it works and it's really, really exciting. Uh, is that we have these chests or even shops in the game that will uh, spawn randomly selected items from the workshop, even without you having to subscribe to them. So you might come across one of these workshop chests that has. Something random from the workshop. Uh, we as designers have some control over which tier of uh, advanced, uh, kind of like how advanced the thing is supposed to be in there and if yeah, it's supposed yeah. to be a weapon or a tool or something. But uh, it's just using tags, basically, that people have tagged their 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 okay. blueprints uh, in. And so, you know, if we specify that it's supposed to be a, a tier one tool in this chest from the workshop, it will scour the workshop and randomly pick something that fits that description, but it can be anything. So people making stuff in the workshop will actually have their creations pushed into the official content of, of the game uh, as, as people are playing it, even without them subscribing to, to those items. So you really don't know what you, you're getting. It's kind of like the Kinder Egg experience. Uh, uh, you know, it's a little toy in, in a chocolate are they, egg. I need the... less chocolatey, though. But... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it might there might be a chocolate egg. I mean, we're we're we we've been playtesting this, and it's 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 really fun to to come across something that 
you had no idea even what what it is or or what what it's supposed yeah. to do and then you have to figure it out you know activate it i was like oh wow it does it does that and then then you figure out how you can use it and and it really changes big the spheres game. thing what is that oh it's a particle accelerator what's that for i have no idea let's just try it <laughs> yeah and you just create yeah, a massive exactly. black you, hole you activate you know? it and something yeah <laughs> something horrible happens or something wonderful so you know and these these things are cool because it can be a vehicle it can be a robot it can be anything that yeah, yeah. exists in the game and and they all have you know their own lua scripts associated with them so um that kind of get packaged into these blueprints so they can have full ai uh, behavior trees and all this stuff, you know, so they can be very, very sophisticated that just get downloaded automatically behind the scenes and picked picked automatically. So it is a very cool feature. We're we're rolling out very soon, and uh, we're super excited about it because it it it, it answers you know to answer your question about you know the rewarding aspect of of uh, playing through this game is that it, it's it's really kind of using all these all these tools that you might not have expected or or yeah. or know what they are ahead of time, you know, using them in clever ways to overcome these obstacles. So the next question is to do with um, having to face adversity. So the player yeah. is thrown into a pretty dire situation. They've got very little resources, yeah. and they've got yeah. threats um, coming from both environmental and biological uh, sources. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. How have you developed these threats to ensure the player is constantly challenged and engaged? It's a great question. Um, it has, um, again, been a long process. Like I said, we've been working on this engine and game. Um, the engine has been in, in development for eight years, and the game, I would say, the real production of it started two to three years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the in the process of developing this engine, even though there wasn't much game content in there, we did have, you know, all these test uh, kind of creatures or robots and vehicles, you know, that you, you develop and prototype and you see what works and what doesn't, you know, you have a whole new physics engine. So, you know, we had to really test thoroughly what and, and, and explore what we could do with it. So over, over the years, we've had uh, creatures come out, you know, robots that, that have certain abilities or certain things that, and they kind of survive our prototyping, prototyping uh process and then you know we we at some point uh a year or two ago we we started placing them out on on this on this big map of the first large adventure planetoid that we have and that 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 players kind of uh land on first in this uh, robinson crusoe scenario uh we call it the primoid uh it's maybe not the most imaginative name but it, it is it is the first one and uh you crash land on it and you're supposed to uh find uh enough blueprints or you're supposed to find and build a rocket and then find enough fuel to fuel the rocket to fly off of it mm-hmm. and after that you can go to any other planetoid that exists in this asteroid belt uh that and the, the other planetoids might have completely different game modes as well so there's there's uh player versus player uh kind of versus uh planetoids there's Planetoids where you race around the planet as quickly as possible, but they're they're completely different. But this first uh, primoid is about two kilometers in circumference, so it is that's rather large, um, but it's also not very large by planet planet you know uh, standards. Uh, so uh, the interior of it though is is quite quite a large area, and we are filling it up completely with these dungeons or 
uh, yeah, it's it's channels. It's, it looks like you know some kind of Swiss cheese or or something like that. It's it's all filled up with with things you can explore. So we placed all these blueprints that we had developed over the years onto this thing, and we started crafting the the story and the the different dungeons and the different areas and the lore around all this. So it made sense to put a bunch of ro- robots into the mine, for example, where the humans had landed and started mining this um, this kind of fifth element, which is a very special resource in the game. It's almost mm-hmm. like the currency in the game. Um, and it's also what fuels your rocket. So yep. yeah. we, had, yeah. we had a bunch of mining robots there. You know, that makes sense. And then there's like this very organic jungle, underground jungle cave where you would find all kinds of nasty organic things. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how we, we place these things to you know, to, to, to make sense of, of the lore and the, and the experience that you're having, you know, so the themes are, are consistent and make sense. Yeah. It's just that, that yeah. sense of exploration of discovery. Yeah. yeah That's exactly. what you're rewarded with by your perseverance and uh, determination not to right. die. Yeah. So my, yeah. Yeah. So my last question then, um, uh, so no, all good things come to an end, but we've got to cut this off eventually. It's been fantastic, great talking to you bit on this, but uh, my last question is really about the damage inflicted on a player's avatar can impact on their ability to perform certain functions, with limbs yeah. being lost and their clothing being eroded or burnt. I've got to ask, <laughs> yeah. why did this happen? Why, why is it there? And how did this uh-huh. come about? Yeah. So, so um, everything that moves in the game can be destroyed, and it, it is a it is a, a fundamental feature of of our physics engine that we ha- we really hadn't seen anywhere else in a two D physics engine and, and done robustly. So we um, we you know we wanted to do this, and that's why we and I say we you know uh, Cortex Command I, I built maybe ninety percent of that code base myself um, over over a very long period of time, but. But Planetoid Pioneers, uh, by that time, uh, I had I had uh, gathered a team of very, uh, you know, the best people I could find, basically, for the different roles. Uh, and they were all better than me, well, far better than me in, in these roles. So I started working with uh, very good programmers that were way better programmers than I were, was to, to build this new engine. And it supported the physics uh, destructibility, where... Everything that moves, except for the terrain, again, like, that's kind of a, a concession, or, or I say, uh, I would say, like a deliberate design decision to to not have the terrain be destructible. Um, but everything else is destructible. You can you can chip away at any part of a vehicle or a or a, a creature or, or any item uh, parts of it, and the the material that was assigned to that object would would cause the effects to be appropriate. So if you're shooting something that has uh, would you know material it will splinter it would it would have the right sound it would it would do everything appropriately so this also includes the player avatar that is built from uh, a material we called armored armored flesh so it has the the appropriate effects when something hits it and and grinds against it and all these physics events happen um, what what we also discovered was that uh, over the years, again, this is something we've been working on uh, to to improve based on playtesting and so on. Is that parts of the the, the pioneer, which is, is your avatar, yeah, 
might might get destroyed and it's a little frustrating when your arms come off you know and you you burn off your arms and now you can't atomize you can't use any tools and you're just kind of like a very useless uh armless figure that can run around you know and 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 not do much else so at that point you would have to kill you know kind of you know suicide your character and then go back to a backup body and you know this was this was not the most fun dynamic or mechanic we found and uh we uh we have since uh made certain tweaks where it's a lot harder to have your arms come off for example so so we we had to tune the destructibility of of specific critical things uh in the in the in the parts of the of the of the character to to actually not you know make it this this kind of frustrating situation but on the other hand the the really cool thing i i like about this game is that there's no explicit HP. There's no explicit health points associated with any creature or anything. Mm-hmm. It's all kind of implicit based on the actual destruction of the thing. So, if uh, so, every every creature, every character has its own Lua script running that determines. Uh, it has a function that's basically is dead. It's you know it's checking is this thing dead now, <laughs> or right. should it be dead based on based on the damage that's been dealt to it. Right. And uh, for for the pioneer, it 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 does ask for the head of the pioneer or the head object and then it checks how much of the head has lost you know it's it, how much area of the head has has been lost to <laughs> damage yeah. and so if it loses maybe 15 percent of the head yeah then you have died you know then you've lost yeah. part of your head you know you're 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 that's pretty bad head trauma so yeah, we figure you're dying then um but the torso you can you can take it also checks the torso, but you can take a lot more damage. Maybe 40 percent of the torso can be removed before before you consider that character dead. Um, the limbs and so on they can completely go away, and you can still yes. survive and and kind of you know limp along on one leg or or, or crawl along with your arms. So <laughs> that's a that's a very kind of integrated you know damage system into the physics engine, but it's also very implicit instead of being explicit. You know, so there's yeah, no health and- points. It does make you. It does make me gingerly walk along. Like, am I going to be set on fire? Oh God, no! Run, run! <laughs> yes. It's, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's so bad. fire has. Yeah, fire has been one of those things that we've been debating back and forth. Uh, I don't know if you saw the movie called The Martian, where Matt mm-hmm. Damon, you know, uh, science yeah, is a great film. Like, it's a great uh, film. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah, and he mentioned somewhere, sometime that. You know, in space, you know, fire is one of the worst things because, you know, everything is kind of like pure oxygen and very, uh, very flammable. So, you know, fire is, is, is any kind of open flame is, is very dangerous. And yeah. Yeah. Um, so we thought we would just roll with it, you know, that, oh, man, it's very easy to catch fire. And that's kind of a funny way to die. But, we, you know, this is a part of a tuning, tuning process that's been going on for years now. You know, sometimes... You know, we go from one extreme to the other, and we try to kind of like hit this balance in between, where like everything is combustible and it's mm-hmm. way too easy to just die that way. And then we we pull it back, and then we pull it back too far, so nothing burns anymore. And then we try to find that happy medium, and that's that's a long process. It's it's part of this process of building a physics-driven game. It's 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 a lot of tuning. Yeah, uh, every yeah. has to be tuned to where we kind of maximize the fun as as much as possible. But yeah, that's the damage model in in planetary pioneers. Well, Dan, yeah. it's all over. You've done it. You made it. Well wonderful. done. Thank you fun. very yeah. very much for sharing all this wonderful information about uh, 
Planetoid Pioneers. It's been wonderful chatting to you about this and really, really educational. So I got a lot from it. I hope you did too. Um, yeah, no, it was a great time. I really appreciated the questions were very, very uh, interesting and, and, uh, and uh, kind of, I, it, it made it very easy to talk about because, because it, it, it uh, you know, it, this is obviously a passion project for me and, uh, yeah. you know, there's a lot going on over eight years of, of development and, you're, you're, you're blighted with the curse of caring. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is a curse sometimes. <laughs> it yeah. is a curse. Yeah. Um, so, Planetoid uh, Pioneers is out on Windows PC right now. Yes, correct. We have we have uh, ports actually kind of waiting in the wings for Mac and Linux. Mm-hmm. It the engine has actually been ported even to Android at this point, but that's not something we're promising. Uh, it's more mm-hmm. of something we did for 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 to just to test it out for now but yeah it it we hope to get uh mac and linux also out there very soon we, we can't promise exactly when we're trying to focus on just one platform uh to begin with just to develop the game you know but it does run on those it's, it's just a matter of packaging it properly and all that stuff well yeah. thank you very much it's been yeah. it's been great as i said and do more than welcome to come back on to chat about what your future endeavors may be after uh, planetoid pioneers, and there will be a time after there will be. I'm sure. Yeah, I, I believe yeah. so too. Right now, we're very much in the trenches here and trying to mm. get this out. And 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 and, a, and you know, we are still in early access at this point. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, the, the the first playable was released just a month ago. Yeah. So yeah. anyone who's been waiting for to actually get a taste of the the gameplay of Planetoid Pioneers are welcome to check it out now. You know, uh, it yeah. has been out before, and so now it's yeah. now it's playable. Exciting times, yeah. But, sure. um, yeah. So uh, again, uh, wish you very best of luck, and uh, yeah. thanks for being such a great guest. Mm. Well, thank you, Chris, for having me. It's it's been an honour. And so ends another episode of the Sausage Factory. Do leave us an iTunes review, and you can also don't forget listen to us on Stitcher dot com. So just go to Stitcher dot com, and you can stream the show from there. You just look up the Sausage Factory, and you can find us. That'd be great. You can follow me on Twitter at Chris O'Regan, no apostrophes. And uh, if you want to email me any feedback on the show, or actually you're a developer who listen to this show and want your game featured on it, please do email me at chris at spong.com. Also, don't forget to check out the Computer Game Show, which is the stablemate podcast, should we say, of spong.com. Bye!